Broadcasting on the Drug Truth Network, this is Cultural Baggage. It's not only inhumane, it is really fundamentally un-American. My name is Dean Becker. I don't condone or encourage the use of any drugs, legal or illegal. I report the unvarnished truth about the pharmaceutical, banking, prison, and judicial nightmare that feeds on eternal drug war. Hi, my friends. Welcome to this edition of Cultural Baggage. Uh, Today we're going to uh, hear from a couple of political candidates from around the country, friends of reform. First up, we'll hear from Mr. Aaron Dixon, who's running for U.S. Senate in the state of Washington. And then a bit later, we'll hear from uh, Loretta Nall, who's running for governor in the state of Alabama. And we'll see how the uh, major media around the country's been treating her. It seems she's been hitting 40 to 50 radio stations from around the country every day of the week. And depending on how much time we have left, I intend to read you part of the sermon I gave this last Sunday, my first sermon as an official minister in a church house. But first up, let's go to Washington State and talk with Mr. Aaron Dixon. Okay, my name is uh, Aaron Dixon. I am running for uh, U.S. Senate against uh, Maria Cantwell. And uh, our platform is out of war into our communities. We want to end the illegal war in Iraq as well as the war in Afghanistan, as well as the war on drugs, and bring all of that money, all of those resources home to the U.S. so that we can begin to uh, address the many issues that we have in our community, such as our failing schools. Uh, There's a lot of school closures that are taking place around the country, affordable health care, and um, creating treatment programs for Many of the people who uh, have been convicted uh, in the war on drugs um, and bring a lot of those resources back into our communities to do uh, to work to to over overcome the economic racism and disparity that we still have in our society. You might tell me if you have the same problem, but here in Houston, our crime rate is rising. Uh, a lot of violent crimes. I've heard it said by uh, members of law enforcement against prohibition that uh, for every dollar that we use arresting and incarcerating these nonviolent drug users, that's a dollar that could have been spent fighting uh, violent crime. Your, your thoughts on that? Now, I'm, I'm in Seattle, Washington. Yeah, we, we are uh, arresting a lot of people uh, for nonviolent offenses and incarcerating those people merely because they need treatment uh, rather than being locked away. And uh, if we can, if we would concentrate on on uh, providing treatment on demand for the thousands of addicts that we have, and provide them uh, with some resources to be successful with their lives, we could work towards reducing the crime rate. Also, if we would put more money into our schools than we do into our prisons, we can work to stem the tide of violence because if there's over two and a half million people in in prison now. Uh, One thousand a week are going to prison, and you can only so imprison so many people. If you ask anybody who is in prison, you you take ten people and you ask those ten people who are in prison 
what type of education that they had. 70 to 80, 90 percent of them will tell you they had no education or they had very little education. So what we need to do, what that tells us is that we need to put most of our resources in uh, creating uh, better schools, making sure that everybody all across the board gets a high level of education, not just children from um, high-income communities, then I think we can see uh, our crime rate uh, go down. But I, I, it's, it's definitely we have to put the resources in from, from the, in the front end at the early beginning and not wait till um, our families are broken up and uh, kids are dropping out of school and getting involved in gang and, and other things because no one has paid any attention to them. Well, earlier, Aaron, you uh, referenced uh, getting out of Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, it's been my contention that the uh, the war of terror is nothing more than the war on drugs with afterburners. Uh, what what would you seek to do for those two international wars? Well, uh, well first of all, the, the, the war on terror, I think uh, the best way to address this so-called war on terror and, and the and the so-called uh, uh, people that hate uh, Americans is to look at our foreign policy over the past 100 years, particularly over the last 35 to 40 years after World War II. And uh, our foreign policy has all, always been a foreign policy of what's best for the American interests. And um, what that has led to is, uh, uh, the overthrow of, of many nations and the installation of, of um, dictatorships that uh, have given American corporations the green light to come in and to uh, rape the uh, resources from many of those countries. Um, so our, our foreign policy has had a, had a devastating effect on, on third world uh nations and developing nations and we have to rectify that we have to create a, a foreign policy that is in the best interest of all humanity not just for americans uh but for all humanity and if we take that stance then uh you know we'll we'll have more friends in the world than enemies now with the expose of the uh failings of the republican party both uh financial, sexual, and otherwise, there's a general feeling of throw the bums out for this coming election season. How do you see it developing? Well, I think the uh, American people are getting more clued in that the uh, Democratic Party and the Republican Party are one and the same, that uh, we've been going back and forth with this ping-pong of, of politics, um, and, and every time we get tired of one, we pick the other, and the other one ends up uh, being involved in scandals and we get rid of them. So I think the American people are getting more clued in to this. And what I found is that a lot of people have really given up on the electoral process. They, they no longer have any faith in the electoral process or uh, the uh, Democrat or Republican politicians that are running. So uh, I, th I think that uh, we just have to keep putting it out there to the American people that we deserve to have a multi-party system and that we have to have reform in our uh, electoral process and particularly reform in our, uh, the way that we finance uh, elections and the people have to demand these changes so that we can 
open things up so that we can open up the debate, get, get different types of perspectives in, and uh, go a different direction because the direction that we've been going in for 30, 40 years uh, is a direction that has not changed and it's a direction that is taking us down a path of destruction. Aaron, I, I speak with uh, various people around the country, uh, friends of reform, drug reform, who have decided enough is enough. Uh, Mr. Cliff Thornton up in Connecticut uh, actually was excluded from the debates. Uh, do you encounter that same type of uh, electoral bigotry, uh, if you will? Oh, yeah. Uh, matter of fact, uh, we, there was a debate between uh, the Republican candidate Mike McGavick and the uh, Democratic incumbent Maria Cantwell last week. I was excluded from that debate. I went uh, down there to where the debate was being held. I demanded uh, entrance into the debate. I actually got inside of the uh, TV station, and they demanded uh, leave. I demanded to talk to their uh, supervisor or the person in charge, um, and uh, they refused and eventually called the police, and I was arrested. Uh, so uh, that that same that same type of <laughs> political bigotry, uh, shutting out any other voices, um, is is taking place all over the country. I, I see this situation as really trying to defend their corporate interests to maintain this this uh, ongoing fiasco that involves corporate money going to politicians and the the corporations getting a. Uh, a dollar for every penny they invest. Uh, your, your thoughts on that? <laughs> the corporations have totally taken over this country. They're they're running this country and have been for quite some time. Uh, they've taken over the media. Uh, the media has become very one-sided and very one-biased. Uh, they are complicit in shutting out uh, other candidates and third-party candidates and other voices in this campaign. Um, and that really is the problem with our country is that is the corporations, the multi-corporations have taken over and are pushing their agenda of uh, globalization. And uh, uh, it, it's up to the American people to, uh, to demand uh, that, uh, that we have a different type of society and a different type of culture that is not... Uh, so focused upon materialism and so focused upon the dollar, but that puts uh, human beings first, that puts children first, that puts elders first, uh, that puts uh, just the working persons first rather than uh, profit first. Well, we're, once again, we're speaking with Mr. Aaron Dixon. He's running for U.S. Senate in the state of Washington. Um, Aaron, if you would uh, share your website, we have a few stations up there in Washington. Tell them where they can learn more about your campaign. Okay, it's www.dixon, D-I-X-O-N, the number four, senate.com. Aaron, I, I, I uh, admire you for your, your strength and your courage to do this, to uh, step into this fray, if you will, but we all need to think about the possibility of ending this, this uh political fiasco by becoming part of a better uh situation correct correct yeah yeah we, we we've got to we we have no choice and uh you know i'm i'm finding that there are people who have been traditional republicans who 
are tired of this fiasco. They want to change, too. So I think that we have to reach out to everybody, not just people who think like we do traditionally, but people who may not think exactly like we do about everything, but who still have a lot of the same concerns that we have. And, uh, you know, we, we need to build a very uh, broad base of, of people and coalition so that we can uh, change the system. Okay, next up we're going to hear from Loretta Nall. You longtime listeners to the Drug Truth Network know that about a year ago she was serving as one of our many reporters. But she took it upon herself to run for governor in the state of Alabama. They were unable to uh, garner the necessary 40,000 signatures to get her on the ballot. But she's doing quite well nonetheless. Uh, the major media around the country uh, is very interested in her T-shirts, which say, elect these boobs, meaning hers, not these boobs, meaning her opponents. First up, we'll hear from her visit to Fox, and uh, the show, I think, is called Friends of Fox. Our next guest is referred to as the cleavage candidate, but she's hoping that people forget about her cleavage and start focusing on her platform. Yeah, finally, Libertarian Party writing candidate for the governor of Alabama, Loretta Nall, is, from, uh, is with us right now from Montgomery. Hey, Loretta. Good morning. Is cleavage a bad thing? I don't think so. So you're pro-cleavage? Uh, I, I, you know, cleavage is, I guess it depends on who you are. Lots of people like it. Some people seem to be offended by it. Uh, I'm quite, quite happy with mine. So, Loretta, how did this whole thing get started where you were known as the cleavage candidate? It was kind of started as a joke, didn't it? But now it's turned into something serious? Uh, well, it kind of started, it was a response to two newspaper journalists in Alabama. Uh, one wrote a column about me that was kind of dismissing my campaign as all for fun. Um, and the other one supplied a photo without contacting my campaign. It's just something that he got on Google and, and did a picture search for me and came up with one where I was wearing a low-cut top. And so I, you know, I wrote a letter, um, and it was printed here in the paper that ran it, and it kind of was a, an inside Alabama joke. And then I did the T-shirts that basically, if you want to talk about boobs in this campaign, we'll talk about them, but we won't talk about mine. And I came up with the more of these boobs and less of these boobs T-shirt, and uh, the national media picked up on it a few days ago, and, well, here we are. Less of these boobs meaning the other candidates. That would be correct. Gotcha. Uh, so if you're running against uh, Lieutenant Governor Lucy Baxley and incumbent Governor Bob Riley, you're going to have to be a write-in candidate. Why should someone write in your name? Well, if you believe in the Constitution of the United States of America and you believe in individual rights and personal responsibility, if you believe that we should pull out of the Patriot and rely on acts out of the Iraq War, that we should address drug policy uh, from a different perspective. Like what? You say legalize, legalize marijuana, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and, and then you should vote for me. And, Loretta, the reason that you specifically agree with legalizing marijuana, this has to do with what you do for your profession? Uh, no, I've always felt that it should be legal. Uh, I think, you know, spending $134,400,000 a year in the state of Alabama to lock up uh, 11,000 pot smokers is, is a little bit uh, too much. Where we spend $6,000 a year to send a child to public school, we spend $12,000 a year to put somebody in prison. Granted, we don't have as many prisoners as school children, but if we don't fix things soon, that's the way it's going to be. So you think you'll be in on the debate? Uh, no, they've already excluded me from the debates, but I will be protesting outside on um, October 30th at the Alabama Shakespeare uh, Festival Theater. And I think you'll find a way to get everybody's attention. Uh, I think w I already did. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, uh, if now for governor.com, N-A-L-L for governor.com, if you want to uh, write Loretta in. Loretta, uh, good luck. Thank you. Thank you for being with us. Okay, next up we've got a segment I captured 
from Keith Olbermann's MSNBC news program. And he's uh, asking Loretta about how did this uh, boobs versus boobs thing begin. The columnist said, you know, in 55 years of political writing here in Alabama, he'd never had a woman show cleavage in his column, and his mother was about to roll over in her grave. And so I, uh, I just kind of, I sat down and wrote a letter to the editor, and I thanked him for introducing the twins to Alabama, and told them if uh, they were offended, I would don my burqa and come down, and we could sit down and talk about the issues. And if for nothing else, thanks for getting me the horny guy vote. I really appreciate it. A vote's a vote, after all. So what, what, what was your purpose in running? In, in running, what is your campaign platform besides this, uh, this sort of uh, semi-sarcastic one? Well, uh, you alluded to the legalization of marijuana. I think we need to address the drug war from a criminal, I mean, from a health and social justice perspective as opposed to criminal justice because that's obviously not working. We're spending $40 billion a year to incarcerate American citizens and wage war here. Uh, I believe we need to pull our troops out of Iraq, and as governor of Alabama, I will be calling for the withdrawal of the National Guard troops from Iraq. Uh, as governor, you don't have a great deal of power in that area, but I think if governors start calling for their sons and daughters to come home, then maybe finally... Uh, we will have an impact in Washington, D.C. Uh, I believe in naturalizing the immigrants that are in Alabama, Hispanic immigrants. We have a lot of uh, uh, politics of hate and racism still play a part down here, as I'm sure you well know. And so I think if it's actually a, a fiscal matter of them not paying taxes, then the only fiscally conservative thing to do and fiscally responsible thing to do would be to naturalize them and add them to the tax base. Um, uh, we have some local issues, lottery and casino gambling. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we should have that here in Alabama, uh, things of that nature. Do you go, you go on conservative radio talk shows and, and go to civic clubs, and, and do you get to do address the issues, or is, is it all back to the uh, boobs versus boobs thing? Oh, no, no. The boobs thing is actually uh, it just started in the national media when the AP ran an article. Uh, occasionally it comes up that, and, and the not wearing panties uh, has come up a couple of times. Uh, but the civic clubs and, you know, the uh, Kiwanis and Rotary clubs and things of that nature and the conservative talk radio, they understand the issues that I'm talking about and they understand the economic impact and they actually don't think I'm all that crazy. Well, we wish you the best of luck on this. Loretta Nall, libertarian candidate for governor of Alabama, uh, forthright and honest about this, and, and uh, good luck with both the, uh, the, the serious and the less than serious elements of the campaign. Good luck on November 7th. Thank you so much. And so when you go to the polls on Tuesday next and you have your hand on that lever, all right, we've run this one into the ground. We'll just stop now. All right, once again, to show how widely distributed this voice of Loretta Nall is, Let's go to uh, Canada's MTV. Anytime. Uh, there's a candidate running for governor in Alabama who's literally campaigning on her cleavage. Her name is Loretta Nall, and she's on the line. Hello. Hello, Canada. How y'all doing up there today? Hi. Oh, we're just hanging out. We're fine. <laughs> so what's your campaign slogan? Can you tell us in about 10 seconds or less? Uh, the one that's on the T-shirt is uh, more of these boobs and less of these boobs. Um, and it pictures of, it's a picture of me uh, with cleavage showing, um, and under me is my opponents, and underneath them is less of these boobs. <laughs> wow. And what's what's been the response? Uh, it's been absolutely phenomenal. I'm on MTV, after all, as you well know. Yeah, but we'll put uh, anybody on. Uh, Keith Oberman, <laughs> and I've got you know, coast-to-coast coast and wall-to-wall -wall media, both TV and radio and print. I think I was in every editorial page in the Alabama media today. Uh, the response has been overwhelmingly positive. People like a little levity with their politics, and the way they try to out-Jesus each other down here, whether they're a Republican or a Democrat, it makes for a dull political season, so I thought I'd try and lighten it up at that. Wow. Now, I know you've been handing out T-shirts, but what's up with the marijuana stash boxes? I am, uh, actually, I have connections in Canada. You guys heard of Mark Emery, right? 
I'm sorry? You've heard of Mark Emery, right? The oh, Prince of Pod the in Prince Canada. of Pod, yeah, he's in jail all the time. Uh, Mark is a, is a real good friend of mine, and uh, he's actually uh, partially responsible for me running for governor in Alabama today. I got my start working with him back in 2002. Uh, keep Mark in Canada. No extradition for the BC3. Do you, honestly, <laughs> do you think you're going to get voted in on your... Uh... Your busty campaign? Oh, absolutely. I think Alabama's ready for a little bit of a uh, little bit of change. Well, wow. Good, good luck with that. Thank oh, you much. Thank you very much, Loretta. All right, check her out for her campaign at nullforgovernor.com. Uh, thank you. Thanks, Loretta. <laughs> All right, I'll Conservative Christian, right-wing Republican, straight white American male. Gay bashing black fear and Okay, and we do have enough time. I want to give you a little bit of the sermon I gave this past week at the Unitarian Church out there in Stafford, Texas. About a hundred people were in the congregation. And uh, before I proceed, I want to remind you of one thing. We offer $1,200 cash money to any drug warrior, any agent of the DEA, CIA, FBI, or Justice Department, any police captain or above, any working judge or district attorney who will spend 15 minutes on this program uh, endorsing the policy of drug war. And uh, none of them will refute one word of what you're about to hear. Not for God, country, honor, or money. My first job, the one I'm perhaps most proud of and most ashamed of, was working as a cop, a security cop, mostly guarding nuclear weapons on behalf of our nation. I was trained to kill, an expert with numerous weapons. I wore my badge with honor and swore to uphold the Constitution of the United States, so help me God. I still carry that obligation in my heart and in my life's work. Each week I now produce nine radio programs about the harms of the drug war, seven three-minute pieces for daily distribution, and two half-hour shows we produce each Friday. We interview judges, congressmen, scientists, doctors, Nobel laureates, cops, wardens, pot providers, and prisoners. I've invested well over 10,000 hours of my life investigating the nebulous, examining the hypocrisy, and exposing the unvarnished truth about the drug war. There is no truth sufficient, no justice evident, no logic apparent, no scientific fact adequate, nor valid medical data to justify the policy of drug prohibition. The war on drugs is an incremental thing. Over the decades of its existence, it has morphed and expanded and taken on a life of its own. It is the bread and butter of perhaps a million Americans who make their living directly from the cornucopia of prohibition. This includes bankers who launder the money, major corporations that move goods to other nations through surreptitious accounting practices. It includes nearly every government agency, whether police or forestry service, for they all get a cut of the drug war pie. It includes overworked judges, district attorneys, defense attorneys, bondsmen, cops, guards, wardens, and prison builders. But the ones who I see most responsible for the incrementalism, for the growth and destruction of the drug war, are the scientists, the authorities in charge of the official government truth. The medical community was also responsible for allowing this to happen. 
for failing to speak the truth in unison, but they too now suffer from their prior silence. We all know the situation. Pain doctors are afraid now. Pain doctors are unwilling to stake their reputation, their livelihoods on you and your pain. If they prescribe too many of a certain type of pill like oxycodone, the feds will bust through their door, cuff them, their nurses, and the receptionists, cart them before the TV cameras, and proclaim to the world that this doctor working to relieve your pain is a villain, a crook, a charlatan, a drug pusher. So even though their silence helped bring this fiasco to be, the doctors get my sympathy now. Given the enormous set of characters I've outlined, what can be done? How can this mess ever be straightened out? Let's open up that can of worms and go fishing for truth. The truth is that the drug lords run both sides of this equation and that those who support the drug war are, whether by choice or ignorance, the best friends the drug lords could ever hope for. In other words, without the death, disease, international complications and the violence on American streets, the drug war would not last a week. And yet it continues because we believe in drug-related death, when in reality they are all prohibition-related. The day we regulate the distribution of these drugs to adults is the day we evaporate the worth of Osama bin Laden's opium stash. It's the day we destroy the cartels in Colombia and Mexico. When we destroy the world's largest multi-level marketing organization, the black market in drugs, we take away the reason for which most of these violent street gangs exist, when we take away their financial engine. In a regulated marketplace, our children would have a more difficult time acquiring drugs, and we would certainly have plenty of room in prison for anyone selling drugs to our kids. If we can change our focus and our direction, we could save millions of lives, millions of families, and better provide for the needs of the individual and our nation. After decades of waging this drug war, we find that over $10 trillion have been flushed away. Sentences totaling in the tens of millions of man-years have been handed down to our children for having little baggies of plant products in their pockets or their purse. Yes, young women are the new harvest for the drug war, for sharing an apartment or taking a phone message. And yet silence reigns. Fear of being called a legalizer, of wanting crack machines at the junior high, keeps the soccer moms silent and the baseball coach dads quiet. The drug war is the largest fraud ever perpetrated right in the face of the most informed society that ever existed. Aspirin and Tylenol kill more each year than do all illegal drugs combined. If we were not so afraid, we would make the exchange of hypodermic needles cheap and easy or free. Otherwise, we pay thousands of times more to care for indigent users who are near certain to contract AIDS or Hep C if forced to reuse and share needles. If an adult drug user who thought perhaps they had overdosed could call for help with no worry of a prison sentence, the only people dying from drug overdoses would be suicides. So who stands in the way of ending drug prohibition? The authority figures, the ones the reporters come to for an opinion, the DA, the judges, the congressmen, who have all made their bones by being tough on drugs, the government scientists and the treatment providers, who all enhance their living with funds derived from drug prohibition. As hopeless as this may sound, as a member of LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, I have hope. I believe the American people will soon enough see through this grand charade and will rise up in unison to say enough 
of the lies. Well, that's about all we're going to be able to squeeze out of the sermon. No new affiliates to report this week, but I know there's a couple of folks out there auditioning uh, the Drug Truth Network. I sent out a few packets this week as well. I hope you'll give it a listen and consider sharing the unvarnished truth about the drug war with your listeners out there. I'm still working on finalizing the uh, first edition of the Unvarnished Truth, the first DVD from the Drug Truth Network. It features a host of interviews I did with many of the leaders of the drug reform community up in Seattle at the Seattle Hemp Fest. Hope to have it ready before I go to Bolivia, uh, what, about the first week in November. If you get the chance, send an email to me, please, dean at drugtruth.net. I'd love to hear from you. And as always, I remind you, because of drug prohibition, you don't know what's in that bag. Please be careful. To the Drug Truth Network listeners around the world, on behalf of engineer Philip Guffey, this is Dean Becker for Cultural Baggage and the Unvarnished Truth, the show produced at the Pacifica Studios of KPFT, Houston. Tap dancing on the edge of cannabis. <laughs>